Welcome to Dairy Stream, brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations that fight for sensible dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. Dairy Stream focuses on issues affecting the dairy community and our customers. Hi, I'm your host, Mike Austin. Well, welcome to Dairy Stream. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the future and ask the question, are you prepared, especially when we talk about being a farmer in the future? And I think you'll find this a very interesting and enlightening conversation. You know, there's a lot of topics we've been talking about uh, recently, and uh, there actually was a very good conference held uh, that gave some insights from BMO's recent farm-to-market conference. And we actually have a man that knows all about that company, and, and that is our special guest today on Dairy Stream. That's Sam Miller. He's the Managing Director of Agriculture at BMO Harris Bank. He's been doing it for over 37 years of agricultural banking experience, and he's really going to give us some insights on to ensure that you have the tools needed to be a farmer of the future. And Sam, I want to start out a little bit about, you know, a, a term that's certainly become commonplace, not only over the last several years, but especially over 2020, and that is the word volatility. And we certainly saw that again last year, and that's led many, you know, farmers to have different kind of learning experiences experiences. So from going from there, let's talk about current inflationary pressures, because that's a topic we're hearing in agriculture and just the regular economy. When we look at those inflationary pressures, what should be on a producer's radar? All right, Mike. Well, thanks for having me on uh, the dairy stream today. Uh, Appreciate it. It, it, It's interesting. There were a lot of those type of topics that came up at uh, BMO's recent farm to market conference. That's a conference, Mike, where we bring together a, a number of public and private companies. Many times it's their CEOs or chief financial officers that are that are talking about the, the issues uh, impacting them and their companies from everything from inputs to um, processors to grocery and retail. And a, a couple of the big inflationary pressures, if you will, um, it really relates to supply and demand. You know, on the demand side, China came up in virtually every conversation, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, China is is doing a lot. They were probably the first economy in the world to kind of uh, start to recover uh, after the pandemic. They had a, a nasty uh, swine disease, African swine fever, and they're rebuilding their swine herd. And that means that they're buying both pork to, to fill the need from the lack of the uh, pork production in their country, and also the ingredients to feed a growing swine herd. So things like corn and soybeans and whey protein. So uh, those are some of the major drivers. U.S. economy is opening up. We're starting to refill the food service pipeline that had been pretty dry. Consumers are traveling more. Transportation is ramping up. And, and what does that mean? It means we need to have more demand for fuel, including things like ethanol, which is another demand source for corn. Renewable diesel is uh, is another uh, nascent uh, demand source that's uh, that, that's getting a lot of traction and, and a lot of discussion. So those are a bunch of the demand side factors. Then you've got the supply side, and there's several things that went on. I mean, we all learned a new word last year: derecho, right? Yes, it, uh, it took out uh, some of the corn crop, particularly in soybean crop, particularly in Iowa, and and that had an adverse impact on supply of, of those crops. China had a, a weather problem last year. They had excess flooding, and so their 
crop production was off some. South America was dry to start the year. It's been dry throughout the, uh, their uh, Supreme, the second crop corn growing season. And so that is having uh, an impact on supply. And then, of course, the big question in the U.S. is, you know, I don't know the last time you checked the drought monitor, but it's pretty dry across yeah. big portions of the U.S. So there are some supply challenges and some demand challenges that are that are really creating some of those inflationary pressures. And just to add an extra point, uh, the role of, you know, we're trying to say we're going to get back to normalcy, but when it comes to dairy and the post-COVID world, do you think things can go back to normalcy or do we have to, looking ahead into the future, look at it now with a different perspective? I think you've got to look at it with a little bit of a different perspective. With, with so many people forced to, to you know work and prepare meals at home, there's quite a bit of pent-up demand to get out and, and get, uh, get some of those uh, meals away from home. But I think because we've had over a, a year of uh, skill set building to prepare meals at home, I right. think you're going to see more of that. And, and what does that mean? That means that uh, we're not going back to where we were before, but probably a hybrid where the supply channels are, are going to be a little bit different than, uh, than they had been previously. You're listening to the voice of Sam Miller. He's the Managing Director of Agriculture at BMO Harris Bank. And he and I have talked in the past, and I know in our later conversation, talked quite a bit about, you know, trade agreements, export markets, things like that. What current inflationary pressures really have an impact when we look at that larger market? Yeah, well, I think, you know, when you talk about trade agreements in, in the export markets, there's been some good news for agriculture, which, which yes. frankly, we all appreciate because it had been pretty tough for a few years ago. Uh, the signing of a China phase one agreement and the USMCA, US-Mexico-Canada agreement, have real positive impacts for agriculture as a whole and the dairy industry in, in specific. So uh, the fact that uh, China's buying a lot more of all types of, uh, of ag commodities uh, is, is a real positive. Mexico historically has been our number one dairy market. And even though their economy is, is in a bit of recession, they're still buying and, uh, and buying more. And if Canada follows through on the agreements to continue to buy additional dairy products, I think that will be positive for, for the sector as well. So it's, it's a big positive, I think, Mike, with regard to, to those trade agreements. But another factor, another component of that is the strength or weakness of the dollar. Right. And at the same point in time that we had trade agreement uncertainty, we had a pretty strong dollar and it has weakened in uh, the second half of 2020 and, and uh, the first half of 2021. And that's creating a bit more of a, a tailwind. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not a, a gale force, more of a breeze, but that's that's a positive. And, and that's something that I, I think we'll, we'll see continue. So Sam, then just before we leave this topic, when we're talking then as a dairy producer looking into the future, when I talk about trade agreements, export markets, what are the key either areas or issues I really need to keep an eye on so I know how they're trending? I would keep an eye certainly on, on the strength of the dollar. 
you know, and look at, at what it is from a relative basis. I think it's also what is weather doing in uh, in certain other markets. You know, where we have to look at who our competitors are from a weather standpoint, sales of uh, ag commodities, but also on the buyer side, that'll have an impact on, on that as well. I think the other one, and this one's really tough, and it's the uncertainty that comes with geopolitical tensions. Right. You know, and and that's certainly something to keep your eye on because that can turn markets in a in a hurry. And it's not something that uh, that you can predict very easily or there are some ways to protect yourself against it but but that can get expensive as well. We've been talking about supply and demand and that impact on basically the bottom line price for producers and I guess you know, no one expected COVID. And as we look back at it, we see how that impacted the supply chain for agriculture. What about, again, as you open up your crystal ball or even just normal agriculture proceeding forward, what other future stress points do you think are important or at least mindful of a producer to keep an eye on to see, you know, how they're going to deal with that? Yeah, I think there's a there's a couple of biggies in, in uh, that question, Mike. And, and I'll start with transportation because it has been disrupted regardless Regardless of where you are in the in the uh, supply chain, sure uh, whether has been. Yeah, whether it's truck, rail, shipping containers, mm-hmm. uh, ocean freight, you name it, uh, big big time disruptions. Kind of tied in with that is labor, labor availability, and labor cost. And those are a couple of the big disruptors that that we've seen in in the supply chain, with. The world's top two economies recovering first, that's the US and China, you you get some dislocation in terms of where those containers are and where they need to be mm-hmm. in order to move trade back and forth. And so it's uh, it's creating some challenges. I think, you know, it wasn't that long ago that uh, there's a big container ship stuck in the middle of the Suez Canal. And it was amazing how much disruption that created around the world for a ship getting stuck for a week in the Suez Canal. So it just tells you what a just-in-time system we have. And I think some of the lessons learned out of that is we better have a bit more supply on hand in order to be able to uh, have a surge capacity in case some of those disruptions occur in the future. Sam Miller is a guest managing director of agriculture at BMO Harris Bank. We are looking at, are you prepared to be a farmer into the future? And we're gonna be taking a break in just a couple of moments, but I still have another question I want to talk to Sam about, and that deals again with supply and demand issues. And again, this is kind of looking ahead, preparing yourself. And you talked a little bit about the things we need to be focused on, but you know, how do you prepare yourself in your operation to deal with some of these supply and demand issues into the future? I think there's a couple ways to do it, Mike. And I think, you know, one thing is prepare a dashboard. I mean, many farmers have a dashboard for production metrics and financial metrics. I think it makes sense to add another dashboard and that is the macro environment dashboard. It's things like what are exports doing? Is it up, down, or or level? What about weather in other major growing regions? I I I, I take a real a hard look at South American weather and North American weather, and I think you can again look at that up, down, or or level. Domestic demand. 
That's our biggest source of demand is domestic demand. Geopolitical tensions, we talked a little bit about some of the tensions that can happen across the world. And then the US dollar strength and weakness. So I would suggest that as a dashboard to help guide where are some of the supply and demand challenges likely to come. And then secondly, how do you protect yourself? It's back to the basics, price risk management plans for dairy farmers, dairy margin coverage. Are you using dairy revenue protection or LGM dairy? Are you using hedging tools? And it's not just on the revenue side, it's also on the expense side. I mean, uh, the increases in corn and soybean prices doubling in the course of the last year uh, means that you should have some protection on the input side of your business, not just on the output side. It's about the margin, it's not about the price. That's the key. Those are some takeaways, Mike, that I would suggest that farmers look at. And before we take our break, Sam, just to go a little farther there, when you talk about those risk management tools, I know they used to be an option to a a producer. For you now, they're more of a necessity? I I think so. And, And particularly based on the leverage of the business, the balance sheet leverage of the business, the more risk you have with debt, the, the more protection you need to have in place. If if you have a extremely well capitalized balance sheet, you may be able to handle some more of that volatility. But you started out our conversation today talking about volatility, mm-hmm. and that's the key. What you're trying to do with these risk management plans is reduce the standard deviation, reduce the level of volatility to something that's manageable. And it's not about picking the high price, but it's protecting against things from going lower than you really want them to be. So those are the components I think you need to really take a look at as you're looking at your price risk management plan. Again, we thank Sam Miller for being our guest. Uh, He will continue to be with us for our conversation here on Dairy Stream after we take a break. In the second part of Dairy Stream, we're going to talk about ESG. And unlike what I thought, it doesn't stand for extra special grandpa. There's another reason that we have that conversation, and we'll give you the answer to that. All that coming up here on Dairy Stream. And we'll be right back with our Dairy Stream podcast after we hear from our sponsor. Because of the cyclical and sometimes volatile nature of the dairy industry, it is critical for producers and agribusinesses to have a reliable financial partner they can rely on through unpredictable business cycles. Our specialists at BMO Harris Bank are very well versed in all facets of the food continuum, from inputs through retail and distribution, and they are ready to provide the financial solutions that will allow you to improve your cash flow management, minimize your risk, and capitalize on growth opportunities. To learn more about how we can help, visit bmoharris.com backslash agriculture. Dairy Stream is brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. I'm your host, Mike Austin, and we've had an interesting conversation thus far with Sam Miller, the Managing Director of Agriculture at BMO Harris Bank. We've been kind of dissecting some of his 37 years of experience to help you get the tools you need to be a farmer in the future. And one of the conversations we're going to have now is on ESGs. And if you're not real familiar with that, uh, don't be shocked. You might not be alone in that, but I think you'll have a pretty good understanding after we're done with this segment. Generally, we're talking about uh, environmental, social, and governance investing targets. And let's start, Sam, with environmental sustainability. It's certainly been top of mind for consumers, 
policymakers and agriculturalists. So what environmental sustainable efforts do you think a farmer should consider? Uh, thanks, Mike. I think it, it's interesting. I mean, ESG is a, is a, for me, a new terminology within the last uh, couple of years. And You're not alone. Yeah, I think we had several speakers at our farm to market conference talking about this. And, and the, the best way I heard it put was doing well by doing good. So it's okay. taking a, a look at where are you from an environmental standpoint? You know, what's that social impact in your social license? And then what's the governance around that? So what are some environmental sustainability efforts farmers should take a look at? I think that the big ones are our carbon markets. And when we talk about carbon markets, they're not real well developed. There's a couple of formats that are out there. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's something that we are going to see gain some traction in uh, in the coming months and years and, and probably get well much more well-developed. And I think it's likely to be beneficial at the farm level. I think renewable fuels is another component of that. Boy, we've been talking with a number of clients about renewable natural gas projects mm -hmm. and, and what that can do for their for their businesses but it's also biodiesel i mean that you know why would a dairy farmer care about biodiesel well if a biodiesel plant it's it's going to operate on on oil vegetable oil and that's predominantly going to be soy and canola in north america and guess what the byproduct of that oil production is it's meal that's a primary dairy feed ingredient so that's something to certainly keep an eye on another environmental impact, water quality. I think water is is going to be a big question mark and, and issue and how we're managing that precious resource. Energy is another. And we've had a number of uh, uh, clients talk to us about solar farms and, uh, and where does solar fit in. So those are all components of environmental sustainability efforts that I think farmers should have on their radar. When we talk about that, are we talking about an issue that's size sensitive to a farmer's operation or can this work for any size farm? In some of these cases, it is size sensitive. In others, it's not. So renewable natural gas, as, as an example, that's a high capital intensive uh, input um, project. So there are some size metrics. It's possible that farms could link together and, and form a community-based uh, project, uh, but that's, that's one that's gonna be a bit more expensive. Uh, adding solar or uh, accessing carbon markets, size and different. You can, you can have benefits regardless of where you are. And just getting back to the carbon markets, at least from my knowledge, it's still kind of in its infancy. As you said, there's a couple of options there, but might that be an area where you kind of look and learn before you really get into at the present time? I would say that I have many more questions than I do answers in, uh, in to the carbon markets. And and every time I see something, I'm, I'm trying to learn more and read about it and and, uh, and stay up on, uh, on what's going on in that particular uh, instance. But I think that's something that's not ready for prime time, but something to keep pretty close by on the radar, because I think uh, I think there are going to be some positive things that are going to come down the line. And you really think water will continue to be an issue? Water, no doubt, will be an issue. I mean, if you look, we talked earlier about uh, how dry it is across the U.S. So right. water is a major issue, regardless of where you are in the world. And uh, we're, we're fortunate in the upper Midwest to have great water resources. We want to make sure we protect them.
looking to be a progressive farmer of the future. A man that's helping us do that is Sam Miller, Managing Director of Agriculture at BMO Harris Bank. He's been doing this for 37 years. Uh, another topic I want to get to, and again, this doesn't depend on what size operation you are, but that's automation. And what are some of the automation trends you see that a dairy producer in particular should be aware of? I think a major driver of automation to date has been labor. Uh, with some of the labor challenges, uh, there's a, a real desire to, to figure out, is there a way that we can automate a process in order to have it replace labor? And, and it, with that comes some productivity enhancements. It come, there's a, the ability to show some sustainability that's, that's coming out of one of those trends. I, I'll give you an example. I mean, look at, at what genomic technology yeah. has done for uh, dairy herds, and it's improved the uh, sustainability, the productivity, and using fewer resources for that uh, livestock producer, the dairy producer in particular. Data management is another part that comes out of that, and you can get actionable data in real time, and that's much more beneficial, I think, as an automation trend. Robotics, we've seen uh, robotic milking systems, uh, some robotic feeding systems. Certainly when you're talking about field operations, there's more and more talk about uh, autonomous uh, uh, driving tractors and other equipment. I think you're going to see, the technology already exists in some applications. It's just not ready for the commodity crops where you can get identification of weeds and and zap it or and, and use fewer um, chemicals or, or herbicides in, in, uh, in that particular uh, process. Activity monitoring, I think, is a, is a mm. good example. You think about uh, dairy producers, many of them use activity monitoring, and that's another automation trend. It's, it's a way to use that data and, and not having uh, as many people walking, uh, walking around. I think in the other thing in the field operations, Biologicals, I think, are, are an interesting component. Um, what are they? They're microbes that, that either help the plant grow faster or reduce the need for um, fertilizer or other uh, uh, chemicals. So those are some of the big trends, I think, uh, that, that we're seeing coming from an automation perspective. And I'm glad that you really stressed some examples because I know some that are a little hesitant saying, well, because of the price tag of that automation, it kind of handcuffs me if I'm going to do it for my farm. But you've also mentioned some other things that don't come with that higher price tag and really can be implemented and be very beneficial. That's right. That's right. I think that's that's the key. And not all automation, not all technology is good or cost effective. Mm -hmm. So it's important to do a cost benefit analysis and figure out what the payback is going to be and how uh, that individual producer is going to be able to use that technology. Uh, there's some low hanging fruit and there's some things that are, like we said before, not ready for prime time. Been having an enjoyable conversation here on Dairy Stream with Sam Miller, Managing Director of Agriculture at BMO Harris Bank. And what we're talking today really is about are you prepared to be a farmer of the future? Our time goes rather quickly and just have a couple more things uh, for you, Sam. One is getting back to the ESG targets. Uh, you were pretty thorough on talking about what opportunities are there. But is there anything you want to just add as far as what a farmer might want to be looking at as far as their future plans? Yes, I think there are uh, several things, Mike. First off, all the companies throughout the food chain system are looking at this. And if, uh, and particularly if you're a public company, 
your investors want to know where are you from an ESG standpoint. And to date, measuring the E, the environmental part, is the easiest. It's a lot more difficult to measure the S and the G. So uh, how are they doing that? Well, they're doing that through things like traceability. They're they're doing it through uh, data management. And, you know, people want to know where does my food come from? And so that if we have farmers out, out here producing it, people want to know where where it's been, how it was produced. So that's And I don't mean to interrupt of, you, but yeah. that is a real thing, isn't it? I mean, that's really what today's consumer, that's the question they're asking. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, from Kroger to Kellogg's to Albertsons, you know, they were they all spoke about that at uh, at, at our conference. So it's here and one of the speakers, I think it was from uh, from ADM, Archer's, Archer Daniels Midland, mm-hmm. uh, said, you know, we're using satellite technology to monitor what's going on at the farm. That's one way that they're auditing and verifying mm-hmm. uh, what what is happening. So those are those are things the food chain and the consumer of the future is demanding. So it's a, it's a big uh, it's a big component. Uh, one one of the speakers made the comment. I thought this was pretty interesting. Who cares wins? Ooh. So when you think about ESG, who cares wins? So if you can provide uh, the information and 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 show the positive things that I know a lot of our um, farm clients and, and and farmers in general do, I think that's a real positive. Well, again, we want to thank Sam Miller for being our guest today. One final question for you on today's dairy stream, and that is we talk a lot about the success today of building a winning team in your farm operation. Let's close by talking about that. Really, when we bring up the idea of a network, who really should be the people you keep informed about future trends and the direction of your farm? Who is your network? Who's your team? Yeah, so I think it starts with, I I like to describe it as, who do you buy from and who do you sell to, right? So if you're a dairy producer, your processor is going to be a a big component of that because whoever they're selling to, they want to know. It goes back to that traceability and and that data. I think there are some other uh, more generic resources. You look at the uh, Innovation Center for U.S. Dairy and their U.S. Dairy uh, Stewardship Committee. They've got some great information for dairy producers on a whole host of the ESG topics. I'd stay in contact with what USDA is doing. Certainly, the Biden administration has has climate and uh, and the environment as a as a big component of what their agenda is, and so staying on top of, of what they're doing. And of course, you know, your bank, your banker, uh, it's important that that we know what's going on. I mean, uh, part, of, uh, part of BMO's mission is to be able to bring together a, a virtual hub where we can bring together science and analytics and expertise and partners who work uh, throughout this chain. So it's the benefit of everybody within that food chain. That's one reason I, uh, I love working for the, this, this institution because we work throughout the entire food chain and it's an important component of, of uh, what it is we do. And this is a this is a big issue. It's a it's a top line issue. And that's probably one of the biggest changes I would hope for producers when they have their mindset is to realize that, you know, they have to go beyond that fence line that really now they have to understand the entire food chain if they really do want to be that producer of the future. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as several of the speakers talked about, with regard to their ESG compliance, they, they talk about scope one, two, and three. And scope one and two are what they can do internally as to how they are reducing their carbon footprints. Scope three is things beyond their control. And that's who they're buying from and selling to. And that's why they're asking those questions of, of their, their vendors and, and uh, their customers. ESG, environmental, social, and governance, and also supply and demand and inflationary pressures, the topics we focused in on today to hope you will end up being a more prepared and a more knowledgeable farmer into the future. My thanks again to Sam Miller, Managing Director of Agriculture at BMO Harris Bank. Also a big thank you to our editor and producer extraordinaire, that's Joanna Guza for all the great things she does. And a special thanks you to you for not only listening, but a reminder to join us on future editions of Dairy Stream as we continue to provide information focused on helping your operation to be more profitable and more sustainable. I'm Mike Austin, and that's today's Dairy Stream. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, just email us podcast at dairyforward.com.